0: Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, Pastor Robert is uh, taking some well-deserved vacation, and he asked me to fill the pulpit for him. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Dr. Lex Brown. I'm the uh, Freedom Prayer Pastor here at Living Waters. And um So I'm going to be uh, speaking to you tonight, uh, this coming Sunday, and the following Wednesday. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, I want to continue a word that uh, Pastor Robert started on Sunday about um, repairing the breach in your wall. He likened it to a hole in a chicken coop where the rattlesnakes and raccoons and any other varmint could get in and harass the chickens. And, and, uh, and so we need to plug up those holes in our lives. We need to shore up the defenses. And everything that was in Psalm 18, we declare that it is true and it's true for us now. And so I want to uh, start and I want to uh, kind of lay out the picture for you tonight because we're going to learn some lessons from Nehemiah <clears throat> tonight and, uh, for, so that we can live holy lives now. And uh, so get your Bibles out. And uh, turn, if you will, to Nehemiah chapter 10. Nehemiah chapter 10. But I, to, I want to paint the picture for you of what's going on right here uh, as we jump into to chapter 10. Uh, back in um, 538 B.C., now that's a long time ago, 538 B.C., King Cyrus uh, uh, declares an, an edict, and he says that the Jewish exiles can return to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the temple, the temple of the living God. And so a man by the name of Zerubbabel uh, returns with uh, a bunch of exiles to Jerusalem in 538. And two years later, they begin work in rebuilding the temple of God. Go forward 21 years, and they complete the temple in 515 BC. They had a lot of opposition to the building of the temple, and they even had to Um, uh, uh, quit work on it for a number of years, and then they started back up. And there are other prophets that were living during this time, and you can read about this time period in Haggai and Joel and Obadiah and Malachi. And, um, And so the temple was finished in 515 B.C., and 57 years later, In 458 B.C., a man by the name of Ezra comes from exile with another group of exiles, and he comes to Jerusalem. Now Ezra was a priest, he was from the line of Aaron, and he comes into Jerusalem. And then 13 years later, in 445 B.C., here comes Nehemiah, because Nehemiah, um was in Babylon and he was with king Artaxerxes and he heard from his brother Hanani that the the people were uh destitute in Jerusalem the walls were all broken down the gates were all burned and um and so Nehemiah Uh, gets the uh, King Artaxerxes' blessing to go to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the walls. And that's where we're going to enter in at this point. So 70 years elapsed from the time that the temple was completed until Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem. 70 years. I'm 71. That's my whole lifetime had passed with the temple being built, but having trouble all along the way. And now here comes Nehemiah. He arrives, after being there for three days, he inspects the torn down walls, and he tells the people, let's rebuild the wall. And they did. They all worked together. People took different sections of the wall. They rebuilt the wall in 52 days. And on October 2nd, 445 BC, the wall was completed. On October 8th, six days later, Ezra reads the law to all the people. And here's where we're going to start picking up. So in in chapter 8 in Nehemiah, Ezra reads the law. In chapter 9, Because they heard the Word, because they heard the truth, because they heard the law, the Mosaic law, the people confessed their sins. And then in chapter uh, 10, they, they produce a document and they promise that they are going to obey the law. It is a written document that says, we vow that we are going to do what is written in the law. And so now, if you, I want to bring your attention to um, verse 35, I even brought my Bible with large print and I can barely see it. So um, we promise, this is the New Living Translation, we promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple year after year. So they say, we're going to pay the tithe. We're going to bring the first part of our harvest to the Lord's temple year after year. And then drop down to verse 38. A priest a descendant of Aaron will be with the Levites as they receive these tithes. And a tenth of all that is collected as tithes will be delivered by the Levites to the temple of our God and placed in the storerooms. The people and the Levites must bring these offerings of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms and place them in the sacred containers near the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers. Now listen to this. We promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. We promise not to neglect the temple of our God. What is the temple of God today? We are. Yep. First Corinthians three sixteen says Paul is writing to the Corinthians church and says, "Do you not know?" And when he when he uses the word "you" in the Greek, it is plural. So, in our vernacular, all y'all. Do all y'all not know that you are the temple of God and that God's Spirit dwells in you? So here, they're promising not to neglect the temple of God. And I submit that we, the church, cannot neglect the church. We cannot neglect the temple of of the Holy Spirit, which is us. Okay, so what I want to do... Oh, so the, the word for neglect in the, in the Hebrew is azav. And it means to leave, abandon, forsake, neglect, apostatize, which just means to abandon a previous loyalty, from which we get the noun apostasy. So to abandon, forsake, neglect, to commit apostasy, that's what we promise not to do. So now flip over to chapter 13. So they had a dedication of the wall. We don't know when that happened. I don't know if it happened right at the time that the wall was finished or sometime later. But they get two groups of people. They pop up on the wall, which was broad enough, and they go they, they start at one point, and they go all the way around opposite one another, and meet on the other side. And then they, and, they, and they dedicate the wall. And so uh, it says in chapter 13, I'm going to be doing a lot of reading, but I want you to listen closely. On that same day as the book of Moses was being read to the people, so it's being the, the law is being read. The passage was found that said no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be permitted to enter the assembly of God. Now this is from Deuteronomy. For they had not provided the Israelites with food and water in the wilderness. Instead, they hired Balaam to curse them, though our God turned the curse into a blessing. When this passage of the law was read, all those of foreign descent were immediately excluded from the assembly." So. What, what they're saying now is that you've got to get rid of the foreign, uh, foreigners from your midst in the assembly of, of the, the Jewish assembly, and the Ammonites and the Moabites. So verse 4 says, before this had happened, El Yashiv, the priest, who had been appointed as supervisor of the storerooms of the temple of our God, and who was also a relative of Tobiah. Tobiah was an Ammonite. So the high priest here, Eliashif, has somehow married into the family of Tobiah. If you go earlier in the book of Nehemiah, you find out that Tobiah and Sanballat had opposed the building of the wall. And, and so here, the priest, the high priest, is a, a relative of Tobiah, and he converted a large storage room and placed it at Tobiah's disposal. The room had, listen to this, the room had previously been used for storing the grain offerings, the frankincense, various articles for the temple, and the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil, which were prescribed for the Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers, as well as the offerings for the priests. So here, El-Yashiv, the high priest, had allowed an Ammonite that they were supposed to exclude from the assembly into the courtyards of the temple of God, gave him a room, kicked out everything that was to provide for all of the levites and the gatekeepers and the singers and let him have lived there essentially and uh, and have and and have that room for himself verse 6 I was not in Jerusalem. This is Nehemiah. So he's picking up the narrative here. And he says, I was not in Jerusalem at that time, for I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign, though I later asked his permission to return. So Nehemiah, uh, from the time that the wall had been built and dedicated, stayed in Jerusalem for 12 years. And then he goes back to, to Babylon, to Artaxerxes, And we don't know how long he's there, but probably not more than a year or two, because then he asked to go back to Jerusalem. And that's where we're picking this up. When I arrived back in Jerusalem... I learned about Yashiv's evil deed in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple of God. I became very upset and threw all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Then I demanded that the rooms be purified and I brought back the articles for God's temple, the grain offerings, and the frankincense. The man after God's own heart. Verse 10... I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food, so they and the singers who were to conduct the worship services... Did you hear that? They and the singers who were to conduct the worship services had all returned to work their fields. I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, Why has the temple of God been neglected? Oh, when I read this, I, I tried to imagine. You, you remember when Moses came down off of the mountain and he had the Ten Commandments. And in the meantime, the Israelites had uh, produced a golden calf and they were worshiping the golden calf. And when Moses came down and he beheld that, he threw the Ten Commandments down. And they shattered. And I can imagine Nehemiah coming here, and he had his Bible under his arm, or at least the scrolls, and he just threw them down, and he said, why has the temple of God been neglected? It's the same word, as I told you before, azav, and it means, why have you abandoned the temple? Why have you committed apostasy? And look what happens. When the temple of God has been neglected, worship ceases. When the temple of God has been neglected, the tithes and offerings cease. Then I called all the Levites back again and restored them to their proper duties. And once more, all the people of Judah began bringing their tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the temple storerooms. So Nehemiah set it back in order again, and I won't go through other things he did, but they were buying and selling on the Sabbath, he restored the Sabbath, Uh, they were marrying foreign women, and he... uh, confronted them and got really radical with them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the land. And then, to make matters even worse, one of the sons of Joida, son of Yashiv the high priest, had married a daughter of Sanballat, the Horonite, so I banished him from my presence. Verse 30, so I purged out everything foreign and assigned tasks to the priests and Levites, making certain that each knew his work. So I submit to you that I just read you A biography of the American church. Because I I look around at at the, the, the scenery, I look out across the land, and there is a neglect of the temple of God. There is a paucity of worship, there is a lack of tithes and offerings. Malachi, and I'm sure you guys know this, but Malachi was in this time period. And he writes about this over in Malachi 3, and, and, the, and the Lord is speaking. He says, I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people Cheat God? Yet you have cheated me, but you ask, What do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. That is exactly what was going on, what we read in Nehemiah. James, says that don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? If you've been reading through 1 Corinthians lately, 1 Corinthians 7.23 says God bought you with a very high price, so don't be enslaved to the world. What happened here is the high priest, El-Yashiv, let the world in. He made friends with the world, and the world came rushing in, and the world displaced all of the tithes and the offerings, all the grain offerings, all of the olive oil, everything that was meant for the order of worship in the temple of God. That's what the world does. 1 John 2:15 says, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If you love for the world, if you love the world, love for the father is not in you. So there's no gray place. It's black or white. If you love the world, love for the father is not in you. So I'm just going to give you 3 verses tonight to to ponder to ponder where you are in this. Do I have a hole in my wall? When they were rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem during Nehemiah's time, some of the people worked on the wall that was right across from their house. And they repaired the wall with a trowel in one hand and a weapon in the other one in order to defend against the enemy. That's what we need to be doing, church. So it says that Nehemiah purged out everything foreign, assigned tasks to the priests and Levites, and he made certain that each knew his work. So turn, if you will, to Ephesians 4.16. Ephesians 4.16. You know that Ephesians 4 is about the church. It's, a, it's about what the church should be looking like, and that the church uh, should be doing the work of the ministry. And, and in uh, verse 16, it says, he, Christ, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. <clears throat> So as each part does its own special work, we as the living stones in the body of Christ need to know what our work is. We have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit and that gift is to be used for the edification of the body of Christ. If we are not walking in the Spirit, if we are allowing the world to creep into our lives and start throwing stuff out of the storerooms of our heart, then we're not going to be able to do the work. So each of us needs to know and understand, just like Nehemiah told the Levites, I want you to do the work that is assigned to you, and this is what it is. We can know that. The Holy Spirit is not keeping secrets from us. He wants us to know. He guides us into all the truth. He shows us things that are to come. So we can know what we are supposed to do to fulfill verse 16 in Ephesians 4, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Amen? Hebrews 3.13 Says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. The thing about being deceived is you don't know you're deceived. And so we have to exhort one another. This is one of the many one another verses you'll find throughout the epistles. Uh, and we're to exhort one another so that we do not become deceived by sin and become hardened. So there's no fertile ground. There's no fruit. And one of the ways that that can happen is by freedom prayer. That's why we have a freedom prayer ministry here. And so we come in, and, and the Holy Spirit ministers and shows where there is wounding or lies Or ungodly beliefs or where the world crept in and reveals the truth and renews us from the inside so that we can become that part of the body of Christ that is fruitful and green and doesn't wither when the Sun shines Galatians 5 1 says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So don't go back to being enslaved by the world or by the law. And so, and so back to 1 Corinthians 7.23, God paid a high price for us, so don't be enslaved to the world. We have to keep a lookout. Whenever I was, When I was in the Air Force flying as a fighter pilot, we would often fly in, in, in uh, uh, what was known as tactical formation or spread formation, where we would be four to 6,000 feet apart with two fighters going like this, and, and each one had the responsibility for a sector of looking out across the formation to make sure that no enemy bandits were going to come and bounce us. And so we, we were on a constant lookout. We had special instruments in the, in the cockpit called um, radar warning receivers, and it would warn us if there was any threat that was painting our airplane. So we have to keep a lookout. We have to keep a lookout in the church for sin creeping in, uh, for, for letting the enemy Come in and start seeping into cracks and making those cracks wider and wider and wider. We need to shore up one another. As Paul says in Philippians one twenty-seven. he says, striving side by side for the faith of the Gospel. So we should be shoulder to shoulder like in a phalanx with all the armor of God. And then... Proverbs 29.18 in New King James says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. That, the Hebrew word for revelation is kazon, and it means a vision, um, it means prophecy, it means divine communication or divine guidance. So where there is no revelation, if we are not living revelatory lives in Christ Jesus, if we're not reading the Word every day and getting the truth in our lives, if we are not listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, if we're not keeping our consciences clean before man and before God, then we are in danger. And there is no revelation. And where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. That's what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness when they, when they made that calf and started worshiping a calf. And they were having a, a big party, and they had cast off restraint. That's what happens when there is no vision, no revelation So we need to daily be living revelatory lives in Christ Jesus. We need to be soaking in the Word. This whole message tonight out of Nehemiah came out of my quiet time. I just finished the book of Nehemiah. I read a chapter every day. I'm in Esther now. And and it was like the Holy Spirit just started pouring into me saying, look what's going on. And so now I share it with the body of Christ so that we can strive together for the faith of the gospel. Ezekiel 22.30, in, in the New Leving Translation, God says, um, I, I, lo- I am looking for a person who will rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. And at the end of that verse, he says, but I found none. And that, that, just, that, that just tears my heart apart. That, that he could find no one to stand in the gap before the land to rebuild the walls of righteousness. Church, that's what we need to be doing today. We need to be rebuilding the walls of righteousness that surround this country. We need to be rebuilding the walls of righteousness that surround this church. We need to rebuild the wall that's right across from our house. We need to patch up the holes. We need to be, uh, we need to be living in the fortress of our God. It says... In Proverbs it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. That's where we need to dwell. That's where we need to abide. But he could find none. Every day I go on a prayer walk and I pray. And I, I, I use Jeremiah 33 verses 6 and 7, but And it says in in those verses, he says that the Lord will cause the the exiles to return. And I pray, oh Father, bring the exiles back and let us build up the walls of righteousness that guard the land. That is my daily constant prayer. There's another verse in 2 Chronicles 16.9 that says that the Lord is looking to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in behalf of of the one whose heart is perfect toward him. And every day I pray, Father, you can stop looking. You can put your eyes on me because I want to be that man. I want to be the one whose heart is perfect toward you and you can show yourself strong in my behalf. And that should be every one of us praying that. We want to be that man, that woman, the one who is going to stand in the gap, the one that is going to rebuild the wall of righteousness, the one that our God, who is omnipotent, He has all the power in the universe, will show Himself strong in our behalf. So we need a heart like Nehemiah. When he comes back and he sees everything that has gone wrong and gone down, and he corrects it all. And and in one place, in verse 14, in that chapter 13, he says, remember this good deed, O my God, and do not forget all that I have faithfully done for the temple of my God and its services. That should be our prayer. Father God, I have faithfully done this for the body of Christ and its services that the body may be fruitful that souls will be won that people will be healed that people will be delivered established strengthened and sent out that's what we should be doing that is our calling i submit that that every one of us ought to go into our prayer closet tonight and just get before the throne of God and say, Father, search me and know my thoughts. And show me if there's any wicked way in me. Because I want to live the righteous life that Jesus bought for me. I want to be a living stone in the temple that you have built by the blood of Jesus, and I want to bear fruit. I want to be healed, I want to be whole, and I want to be holy. That should be our plea. So before I pray for you, and pray for everybody watching the live stream tonight, be sure you tune in on Sunday or come to church on Sunday, because I want to talk to you about your heart. I talked about we need a heart like Nehemiah. I want to talk to you about your heart. Your heart is pivotal to your life. And being a physician, I'm going to give you a little insight into what our hearts really do. But we'll also look at the heart in the word in the new king james version it the heart appears 766 times the heart is important so why don't you pray with me father god i thank you for your word tonight i thank you for the power of your word i thank you that you do every promise that you have made your word is living and active It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I thank You, Father, look on our heart and know us. We want to walk in righteousness. We want to walk in holiness. For anybody here or out there, In in, in watching the live stream, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know what I'm talking about. But you can know Him tonight. All you have to do is come right to this point and say, Lord Jesus, I thank You for giving Your life to save me from my sins. I thank You that Your blood covers everything that I have ever done or ever will do, and You have cleansed me. And now I ask You to come into my heart, into my heart, and live there. And be my Savior and be my Lord. It's as simple as that. If you prayed that, you are a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And you have joined into that temple of living stones, which is the body of Christ, and Jesus is the head. So Father, make us like Jesus. Change us from one degree of glory to another, into Your likeness, that we may walk steadfastly, enduring, to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, our labor is not in vain. We worship You. We give You glory for what You are going to do in our lives and in Your body. In the name of Jesus, Amen and Amen. Amen? Encourage one another. Amen. Encourage one another every day as long as it's called today.